Welcome everyone to this week's Citizens Climate University. It's a weekly webinar program of Citizens Climate Lobbies that provides CCL supporters like you and I with access to in-depth training opportunities on topics related to climate change and effective climate advocacy. I'm your host, Brett Cease, and tonight's topic is going to be examining the basics of motivational interviewing. We're going to join John Sabin, CCL's Great Lakes Regional Co-Coordinator, for a training that's going to show you how to use motivational interviewing to more effectively connect with your members of Congress, local leaders, or even members of your own CCL group. We know as CCLers that motivational interviewing is a communication style that fosters collaboration, and it offers us an advocate, uh, as an advocate, a package of skills to collaborate with anyone, especially quote unquote difficult people. As a well-regarded professional approach, motivational interviewing has 30 years of research across many fields and more than 1,000 studies demonstrating its effectiveness. So with that, let me introduce our speaker tonight. The wonderful John Sabin is, as I've said, Great Lakes Regional Co-Coordinator for CCL, uh, but John's earned a master's degree in social work from New York University and has worked as a psychotherapist for nearly 30 years, as well as in hospice and palliative care. John and his partner, Kathy, have two adult daughters, and he's been practicing Zen Buddhism for 30 years. So you can ask him more about that, too. I know he's a co-leader of the um, Buddhist action team for CCL as well during Q&A. And if we've done our job well, our focus tonight is the following three learning goals. You're going to have a chance to learn the history of motivational interviewing and CCL's pioneering efforts with that. You'll hear a little bit more specifically what John means by that. You'll also have the chance to learn the spirit behind motivational interviewing. And we'll actually have some time to not only learn, but practice the basic skills of reflective listening, both with some role plays and breakout activities. So we'll start by reviewing the origins of motivational interviewing and then talk about its value and the spirit behind it. John will then talk about the four processes of motivational interviewing, and then we'll dive into a reflective listening and an activity to really examine that core skill before having Q&A. So with that, thank you all so much for being here and I will pass it to you, John, to take it from here. Thank you, Brett. Thanks everyone for being here. Um, so motivational interviewing. Uh, this was developed uh, by a couple of psychologists, William Miller and Stephen Rolnick in the early 1990s as a tool for the treatment of addiction. And it's since been shown to be effective in a wide variety of healthcare settings, such as diabetes management or sticking to a medication regimen or uh, some other health routine. Now, prior to the development of motivational interviewing, or MI, most counseling for addiction was confrontational, highly directive, and not particularly effective. By contrast, in MI, the counselor looks for their client's own motivations to become clean and sober, and simply facilitates the client's own pathway towards sobriety. In this model, the, the counselor is a respectful guide, supporting their client in going where the client wants to go. Now, CCL is pioneering efforts to make use of MI techniques in the realm of politics, particularly, of course, climate activism. Our task will be to uncover other people's own motivations for protecting and creating a livable world, facilitating and guiding them as they find their own path towards meaningful climate action. Now, one of the problems MI can help us to avoid is the psychological defense mechanism called reactance. 
Reactance is a process of pushing back when we feel someone is pushing us to do or think something. It's designed to protect our sense of autonomy and independence. It's aroused by feeling pushed around by someone. It can create what we might call a boomerang effect in which the other person feels more negatively, for example, towards climate action than they did when we started talking to them. Now, we don't want that to happen. And so MI is a process that can help us to avoid that. This is the kind of conversation we're trying to avoid, an argument followed by a counter argument. This is a debate. I'm sure we're all familiar with this kind of conversation. And the problem is that we're unlikely to change the other person's mind. In fact, the other person is probably just becoming more committed and more dug in to their original position. So how many CCLers does it take to change a light bulb? The answer, only one, but the light bulb has to want to change. If we want to transform other people into supporters of robust climate action, this is possible only if the other person wants to be transformed. Luckily for us, every single one of us depends upon a livable world. And this is the seed of the transformation that we want to facilitate. So let me talk a little bit about the spirit of motivational interviewing, the attitude that we should bring to the work. We say that it has four elements, partnership, acceptance, compassion, and evocation. Partnership means we regard the other person as a peer, someone like ourselves. We're not trying to defeat them. We're trying to have a respectful dance-like conversation or give and take with them. We also want to have an attitude of acceptance. That means we're not trying to change the other person, which might seem paradoxical. We're engaged in trying to get everyone involved in climate action. Doesn't that mean we're trying to change people? In MI, we accept the other person fully, trusting that the seed of climate activism is already present in the other person. We trust this because a habitable planet is something we all need and value. We don't need to put that value into other people. We just need to connect with them around that value. So we accept the other person as they are. We bring an attitude of compassion, which means having awareness and sensitivity to what the other person finds difficult or painful. And finally, MI is an evocative approach, a Socratic method. We're not trying to cram our understanding into the other person's head. That doesn't really work, does it? We're trying to evoke the other person's wisdom that will lead them to embrace climate action. I came across this Martin Luther King quote recently, and I think it's relevant to what we're talking about here. Martin Luther King said, you have very little morally persuasive power with those who can feel your underlying contempt. This means that it's not enough to put on a show of respect. We have to do our best to cultivate a genuine attitude that is non-judgmental, respectful, and empathic. When our attitude is not genuine, our underlying contempt can poison the relationship and keep us from succeeding in our work. Another thing to keep in mind is what we call the writing reflex. If you see a sign like the CCL logo, your instinct might be to straighten it. 
That's what we call the writing reflex. In biology, the writing reflex is the body's tendency to correct itself when thrown off balance. In MI, it means that when we hear someone say something that to us is obviously incorrect, our instinct is to correct it, to straighten it. But in order to practice MI, we have to inhibit this writing reflex. Imagine that someone came into your house and they started straightening the photos hanging on your walls. Wouldn't that seem rude? How much worse would it be if they visited your mind and started straightening out the beliefs and ideas they perceived as off-kilter? In order to establish the kind of respectful, trusting relationship that has the best chance of influencing the other person, we must refrain from correcting what we perceive to be the other person's errors. Now, that doesn't mean that we can never offer correcting information, but we have to do that in a particular way, and we'll talk about that. And we need to watch for the knee-jerk tendency to correct the moment we hear someone say something that sounds wrong. Now, just to give a kind of broader overview of motivational interviewing, we say that there are four processes in MI, and they don't necessarily happen in this order, but there is a kind of chronology here. So engaging means building the relationship, and that has to come first. Focusing means you come to an agreed upon goal with the other person. That's the next step. After you have an agreed upon goal, then you can evoke the other person's ideas about how to reach the goal. And finally, you can plan concrete steps that will be needed to achieve the goal, and that comes at the end. Now, in different moments of different relationships, we will find ourselves working more on one of these processes than another, although engagement is crucial throughout the whole process. Consider that in our lobby meetings with Democratic offices this month, we are asking them to help reach Joe Biden's stated goal of a 50% emissions reduction by 2030. This means that in Democratic offices, an agreed upon goal is already present. We are in the process with Democrats of evoking their ideas for how to reach the goal and planning concrete steps. In Republican offices, although we may be bringing a particular ask or you know, the carbon border adjustment, for example, our major process will likely be engaging, continuing to build the trusting relationship and working to establish an agreed upon goal. When the trust level is not yet strong, we need to put our largest emphasis on building that trust. Nothing else can happen without it. That means with Republican offices, generally speaking, we will need to take a softer approach, less focused on details of a particular bill, and more focused on affirming common values and building the relationship. Now, I've just said a whole lot of stuff, thrown a lot of stuff at you folks. So I just wanna take a few minutes to see if you have questions or comments about what I've said so far. So this is the, the core skill of motivational interviewing and it's called reflective listening. We can remember the elements of reflective listening through the acronym ORS, which stands for open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. And we'll take these one at a time. 
Open-ended questions are questions that cannot be answered with a simple yes or no. They typically begin with words like how, what, when, where, why, and who. These questions open the door to the other person's way of thinking and feeling and are critical to the process of evoking the other person's wisdom. It's the difference between saying, do you support carbon pricing? Yes or no? And what do you think of carbon pricing? The first question brings the conversation to a stopping point, but the second one opens the door to further exploration. Sometimes, of course, in our lobby meetings, we will ask yes or no questions. There is a place for asking, when this bill comes to the floor, will you vote for it? Yes or no? But the heart of a lobby meeting or other climate conversation should incorporate mostly open-ended questions to keep the conversation flowing and to allow you to learn about the other person's way of thinking. Now, CCL has been pretty good about encouraging open-ended questions. We even count the number of these in our lobby meetings. Unfortunately, I think some people have gotten the idea that there's nothing more to motivational interviewing beyond open-ended questions, and there's lots more. So moving on to affirmations, in a healthcare setting, affirmations are used to encourage the other person to develop confidence that they can overcome their addiction or stick to their medication regimen. In our climate conversations, we don't need to build up anybody's confidence, but we use affirmations to affirm the other person's values, their strengths and priorities, and maybe especially points of common ground. We are using affirmations to diffuse any sense that this is an adversarial relationship. The journalist Amanda Ripley once spoke to CCL on a national call, and she's speaking to us again this weekend. And I remember her saying, you have to affirm the goodness of the other person. This is really critical to our work. When we can identify and acknowledge the other person's values as common ground, this can lower the heat in a conversation and bring two people into a friendly and respectful place. And that's where we want to be. Now, reflections, of course, are the heart of reflective listening. We can't say we're practicing reflective listening if we're not offering reflections. In fact, MI practitioners are encouraged to offer two reflections for every question they ask. So keep that in mind in your climate conversations, two reflections for every question. A reflection is a restatement or a paraphrase of what the other person has just said in our own words, in an empathetic, and non-judgmental way. By reflecting, we do two things. First, we ask ourselves to come to a non-judgmental understanding of the other person. That's step one. And that's not always easy. We have to look at this situation from their point of view. And then we share that understanding with the other person so they know we're following them, we understand them, and we're not judging them. By responding to a statement with a reflection rather than with a counter-argument, we avoid the adversarial style of debate that we're all so familiar with. Instead, we create a conversation based on mutual trust and understanding. In MI, we emphasize offering reflections as statements rather than as questions. 
So when somebody says, I don't know, uh, I'm not a supporter of carbon fee and dividend, and they give you some reason, you might reflect that back simply as, so I'm hearing you say that you don't believe in, in taxation as a solution to our problems, period, right? That's a statement, it's not a question. Now we aim to use accurate empathy in which our reflection so accurately reflects the other person's point of view that they say, yes, that's exactly right. If we don't get that reaction, that's okay, because the other person will say, no, no, that's not exactly what, what I meant, and they will elaborate in a way to help us understand. So let's do a little practice now. I invite you all to take a look at this statement and raise your hand if you'd like to offer a reflection. If you heard someone say this, how might you offer a reflection for, to this person? Why don't we go to the next slide and we'll take a look at another example. Somebody says, there are problems with making sure people have enough fresh water. We should spend money on that. The climate has always been changing. Liberals are using the weather as an excuse to usher in global socialism. What might you offer here as a reflection? Let's go on to the next item here. Summaries is the last element of ORs. So we had open-ended questions, affirmations, reflections, and summaries. So a summary is a review of the whole conversation or a big chunk of the conversation as you understand it. It's like gathering a bouquet of the important points of the conversation. A summary is important at the end of a lobby meeting. It establishes that you've heard your member of Congress or the staffer clearly, and you have a common understanding as your meeting comes to an end. And when you have your next lobby meeting, it's good to begin with a summary of the previous conversation. This gives your meetings a sense of continuity. Now, so far, we've only been talking about how to listen well to the other person, and that is really central. But what about when you want to say something? I mean, we, we're not just listening, right? We're, we are lobbying for climate action. So how do you do that? So in MI, the process is described in three parts. Um, we have this acronym EPE, and that stands for Elicit Permission to Share. For example, may I share how I understand that issue? And once the other person has given permission, then you provide information or maybe your opinion that you wanted to share. And then finally, you elicit their response with an open-ended question like, what do you think about that? Also that when you go into their office, they're hosting you. And so, and they wanna know how they can help you. And so in a way, it's almost like you're the client and they're the counselor, right? It's like a reverse role reversal. So, um, you know, I, I've wrestled with this a lot because I know motivational interviewing from the counseling world. So it's been a lot of working it around for me to see how this applies in our situation. But I've come to see this as its own kind of thing. It's not like a counseling situation. It is a relationship building approach. I think that to me is the, makes the most sense. Mm. Um, and when we can form a relationship with that other person, right? This is not about power anymore. It's not about who has power over who. It's about we're two human beings or we're all human beings and we all live on this planet and we all need this planet to have a healthy climate. We all so remember that this is the kind of conversation that we're trying to avoid. And I know for myself, I will often find myself in this conversation <laughs> and, you know, a bell will go off and I think, okay, 
this is not really the kind of conversation I want to be having, but I just fall into it very easily. I think that we were all taught uh, to debate as kids. I, I certainly was. And um, we've learned this style of conversation. It's very easy to do. So let's look at what it is we're trying to create in a very simple way. Someone offers an argument, but instead of a counter argument, we offer a reflection. And then maybe they offer a clarification of what they mean. And then maybe we affirm the common values for the common ground. This is very different from a debate. Let's take a more complex look about what we're trying to create. So first, if you've spoken to this person before, you might want to begin with a summary of what you understood from your last conversation, checking to see if your understanding matches theirs. Now, if this is a lobby meeting, we always open with a thank you, which is an affirmation. We might then ask an open-ended question and listen to their response. We follow that with a reflection rather than a counter-argument of some sort. We reflect and then we listen again, and we might offer a second reflection and listen more before we go to another open-ended question or maybe we elicit permission to provide information or our own perspective. We then elicit their response with another open-ended question and so forth and around it goes. At the end of the conversation, you might want to end with a summary. So Brett and I are now going to give a brief demonstration of what this might look like. Well, uh, thank you for meeting with me today. And yeah, my honor. Yeah, please thank the Congresswoman for her recent vote supporting the National Estuary Program. Oh, I'd love to. I'll be sure to do that, John. Is it okay if we start with just reviewing what we talked about last time? Of course. About six months ago, we met and you said that the Congresswoman did not support the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act because she just couldn't support burdening her constituents with the new tax. Yep, that's right. So today we're wondering if we can discuss a more focused idea, the idea of a border carbon adjustment without a domestic carbon price. Yeah, of course, I think that'd be fine. What have you heard from the Congresswoman about this idea? Well, I really haven't had a chance to speak with the Congresswoman yet about it, but um, I do at least have one concern. And that is? Well, I looked at the bill you suggested that's based on this, uh, the Fair Transition and Competition Act, and I noticed that there's only Democrats on the bill. And obviously, I know that that uh, is something the Congresswoman is always looking for in terms of bipartisanship. Okay. All right. Can I, can I speak to that? Of course. Well, I know that uh, Senator Lindsey Graham has expressed support for this idea, even though he's not a co-sponsor of that particular bill. And so has Senator Kevin Kramer of North Dakota, so both Republicans. I, I think we sent you the op-ed that Senator Kramer wrote. Yes, you did. Other than limited bipartisan support at this moment, what other hesitations does the Congresswoman have regarding a border carbon adjustment? I would guess you would just wonder why this is necessary. Her focus is really on simplifying increasing American gas and oil production. And she's not really a big fan of tariffs unless there's a clear rationale for them. What might serve as a clear rationale for a tariff that the Congresswoman might support? Well, one thing that we don't want to provoke is uh, retaliation and getting into a trade war. So obviously we'd see that would only hurt American businesses. 
Uh, I think a clear rationale would have to be that we can protect our own economy without provoking that kind of retaliation. Okay, well, that makes sense. Uh, can I share another thought? Yes, yeah, of course. Well, American manufacturing is already among the cleanest in the world. A carbon border adjustment would reward our manufacturers while placing a tariff on goods from a country like China that has higher emissions than we do. Well, uh, I think the Congresswoman would like to see the benefit of the border tariff in penalizing countries like India or China for their higher emission rates and rewarding the clean manufacturing that we do here in the US before we really have more of a position. She, she would see the economic advantage then of a carbon border tariff. Uh, I said that uh, she might see the advantage. She might see the economic advantage of a border tariff. Yeah, she might. And I think that's something that if so, then we'd be able to agree on. Well, I'm so glad we found some common ground. Protecting American businesses while incentivizing cleaner manufacturing overseas is something we can agree on, or we might be able to agree on. Yes, I think that might be something that we could agree on. Well, what do you think our next steps are here? Um, I'd like to talk further with the Congresswoman about, obviously, this proposal and the idea of a border carbon adjustment. And how can we be helpful? Well, I think, again, continue to highlight anything you can find on the Republican support for this idea would be helpful. We'll be on the lookout, and we'll send you information about that whenever we have it. That sounds really good. Well, thank you for your time today. We look forward to speaking with you again in a few months. As do we. Again, thanks so much, John. Thank you for adding the applause there, Brett. Yeah, I just want to say this action team has been dormant for a while, and so we are in the process of getting it going again. Uh, there's going to be a meeting uh, a little bit uh, later this month uh, with a few interested people, and we hope to get the action team up and running. So if you join the team, then you'll get the emails about what we're doing and what's happening, and we hope to have some more trainings, uh, not just about motivational interviewing, but other approaches like nonviolent communication, for example. Uh, and I think it should be really exciting. So just, you know, join the team if you want to learn more. Excellent. And you can also log your training. So if you're specifically looking to make sure to get uh, credit, uh, you can also just go to the action tracker. And then under chapter and volunteer development, there's a training section. Just a little reminder there. You can get credit for any other training. Uh, but with that, if you have any other questions or comments outside of tonight, uh, you know where to find me. My email is just brett at citizensclimate.org. Um, we're always looking for questions in the forums or experiences, especially if you can de-identify how you've used motivational interviewing and any of the core skills that John's reviewed tonight in your own work with your own team. Um, we'd love to just hear examples for others' benefit too. So uh, put those in the forums. And again, the biggest thing is thank you so much for making time, training yourself, upskilling yourself, putting this into practice. Uh, we couldn't do this work collectively without you. And we really look forward to hearing how this training has helped empower you with your effective climate advocacy out in the field. Thank you for listening to this episode of Citizens Climate Lobby's training program. You can tune into more episodes anywhere podcasts are available. Inspired by what you heard today? Join Citizens Climate Lobby to advocate for bipartisan climate solutions. Go to community.citizensclimate.org to find more trainings, resources, your local chapter, national action teams, discussion forums, and more. Be sure to like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Citizens Climate. We also invite all of our listeners to subscribe to our YouTube channel for more inspiration. Like what you hear? Recommend us to your friends and make sure to give us a five-star rating. 
it helps us show up on other listeners' feeds. Feel free to pass on any suggestions for future episodes in the comments as well. And together, we are creating the political will for a livable world.